The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles now to the epistle of 1 John chapter 4. I want us to look at this uh, passage in 1 John chapter 4. Our subject for many weeks has been the Holy Spirit, identified in the title of these messages as the Spirit of Christ. And our title is important because we uh, emphasize the preeminence of Christ, not as the premier person of the Trinity, and that's where Trinity comes into my comments this morning. But the Bible was written to reveal Jesus Christ in the in the uh, to reveal God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that makes him preeminent, the preeminent person of Scripture. Some of the messages I've preached on the subject have referred to the general revelation of God. That is God as he is seen in nature. And it's evidenced, of course, by all the things that God has created. But general revelation is not enough for us to come into a personal relationship with this God that we realize through creation. All people everywhere have general revelation, but the personal God of salvation is revealed only in Jesus Christ. That is God coming to earth as the God-man. It's by knowing and believing in Him that we are enabled to worship and properly serve the God of creation. Well, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who works in the world and works in the human heart to reveal to us the truth of Christ. And it's only that truth through the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures and then by the Spirit effectually calling and using the Word to work in the person's heart. That's the only way that a sinner can be saved. And this is what we call the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration. I'd like to read these text verses, hopefully... Uh, you do have your Bibles open to First John chapter 4. Uh, this was part of our earlier reading. And I take our text today from the first six verses of this chapter. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In each of the sermons of this series, we've looked at the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we've surely learned through this is that the Spirit's work is multifaceted. We learn that it is indispensable to our lives as Christians. And we would expect that to be true because we do understand that the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, in our very first message, we explored that aspect of his identity. And if he is God, then we know that he rules the world and our entire 
existence is dependent on him. The Apostle Paul said, this is when he was preaching to the Athenians on Mars Hill, he said, in God we live and move and have our being. And of course, we could apply that statement to the entire Godhead, but specifically, it is the Holy Spirit who is God's agent in the world who makes these truths known to us. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead in the world presently who works in the world. So again, everything that we do is dependent on him. The whole world is dependent upon the agency of the Spirit. But it's certain that the whole world doesn't acknowledge this. It's certain that the whole world doesn't know this. And even if they do believe that there is a God to which they are accountable, they don't know who this God is. But those of us who know Christ, who are party to his redemptive work, John tells us here that we know the true God. We, we are aware that God has, has given us his Holy Spirit to prove our salvation. And the word of God says that he is the pledge that our salvation will last. It's ongoing because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And not only then does he regenerate us, but he also sanctifies us until one day that we will be glorified. And that is when the Holy Spirit's work is complete in the Christian. Well, as we learn about salvation in Christ, we become more aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives. He works in us every day, and and that work in us is to mold us into the image of Christ. We, We become more like Christ through that sanctifying work, through the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin and then leading us in ways of righteousness. Now, as we talked in earlier messages, this part of the Spirit's work was confusing to disciples that Paul met in Ephesus. Uh, This is in Acts chapter 19, where he asked a group of professed believers if they had received the Holy Spirit since they believed. And what he meant was, had you received the special revelations or the special operations of the Spirit that has worked in believers, and they replied that they were unaware of the Spirit's work. And we explored reasons why they would make such an answer. So that encounter led us into a discussion of the special operations of the Spirit in believers. That since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is an abiding presence in in every Christian's life. Now, although the Spirit has always been in the world, when he came at Pentecost, he came to work in a unique way in New Testament believers. Now, I do want to address that point for just a minute because the Spirit is the one who guarantees eternal salvation. It's the Spirit only that can enable us to keep God's commandment. And and by virtue of that, the Holy Spirit must have been working in some way in Old Testament believers. They weren't absent of the Holy Spirit. But the difference between them and believers today is that we are more aware of the Spirit's operations. We, we know more about Him. Today we have this abiding presence of the Spirit. Now He makes Himself known to us in ways, and that is the comfort that Jesus indicated when He told the disciples that He would send the Holy Spirit to be His presence in them, that He would dwell in them, and He would lead them into all truth and that was intended through all the persecutions and trials and troubles that they would go through that they would have that comfort that Jesus Christ himself would never leave them but they have his spirit to show that he is there now today as we look at the beginning of first John chapter 4 
I want to deal with a problem that is especially acute among those who profess to be Christians. There, there are many that claim that they operate under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit, but their activities are much different than ours. What happens in their church services is much different than ours. They make claims that we don't make. Uh, they do things that we would never do and wouldn't even consider doing. And I notice this sometimes uh, in our congregation that some folks will come and they'll sit down in our services and then it's not long before they leave because they don't find here what they expect to find. They, they expect to find much more uh, demonstrative acts and things going on in the church rather than scripture reading and a message from God's word. They've experienced things that are much different. And, and, and sometimes they will say, well, the power of the Holy Spirit is missing there because they don't do these other things. And, and that's part of what I'd like to talk to you about over the next few weeks. How do we determine whether these works belong to God or are they the works of some other spirit? And this is exactly what John is telling us to do, is to try the spirits whether they are of God. So how do we distinguish between uh, the true works of God and the false works that aren't true that come from Satan? Well, this takes us back into our outline where we are discussing the agency of the Holy Spirit. We've worked our way through parts one and two of this outline. And we're in the midst of uh, the third part of it, which is the Holy Spirit is God's agent. And we discussed how he is the agent of creation. He is the agent in the ministry of Christ. That he was the agent in the canon of scripture, or we'd say the inspiration of scripture. And then now we are in the ministry of the Christian. That the Holy Spirit is the agent of the ministry of the Christian. And under this, we've discussed regeneration, sanctification, glorification, communication, demonstration, and then in our last message two weeks ago, verification. Verification is the fruit of the Spirit that is produced, and also the filling of the Spirit. His presence is seen in our activities, by the way that we live our lives, by the frame of mind that we're in, the things that we think about, the things that we like to talk about, and then our willingness to, to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control. Now, verification is one of six ways in which the Holy Spirit works in the ministry of a Christian. Now, today, though, I want to take up the seventh, the seventh of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in the ministry of Christians. Number seven is distinction. Distinction. There are ways in which the Holy Spirit distinguishes his works from the works of Satan. Now, we are warned in the Bible about Satan and how he deceives people. He's the great counterfeiter. And what Satan often does is to mimic the works of God. His objective is to confuse it is to obfuscate the truth. He attempts to fool us into following him. And as he does, he leads us away from the truth. Now, we should be aware that Satan is also a spirit. You don't see him. But he's not the kind of spirit, not in same kind, not the same kind as the Holy Spirit. He's not an equal or a spiritual counterpart to the Holy Spirit. You know what? People often think this, that that devil and, and Satan, or rather the Satan and God, are, are equal opposites. And you decide which one you're going to follow, this one or that one, and, and uh, they each have equal power. That is certainly not true. 
The devil is a spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the divine spirit. He is the one who created the world in all things, even Satan himself. So he has control over all things. So Satan gladly then, as a counterfeiter, one who mimics God, loves to accept the title that he's given in the scriptures as the God of this world. He loves to take that title, but he usurps the authority of God. And he does it in his work of fooling people, getting them to walk down the wrong paths. Now, if you've read the epistle of 1 John, in the second chapter you'll find, there John says that we must walk as Christ walked. But Satan puts enough obstacles in your way that you can't walk the way that Christ walked, where he tries to prevent that. He's always putting temptations in the way to ruin you in your Christian life. Well, as we begin this discussion today, I realize to some it's controversial. It's said that the church must be unified. It's, it's true. The Bible says that God's people must be of the same mind. There should be unity. They say the church must be unified. And I'm not going to address misconceptions now about the church. So I'll just clarify that statement by saying we expect or we believe, uh, see that the Bible says that Christians should be unified. We should all have the same uh, doctrine, technically. We should all have the same thoughts of God. We should have all the same uh, interpretations of the Lord, which we don't. But that doesn't prevent a measure of unity. The Bible, or rather people believe, I should say, that uh, in reading the Bible, that we should not take up controversies. In preaching, we shouldn't mention the controversies. We're not to focus on false teachings of those who claim to be Christians, but they're not. Well, if that's what unity in the Spirit means, then neither Paul the Apostle nor John the Apostle were aware of it. The Bible teaches unity in the faith, but it teaches unity in the truth. And so John says that we must check everything that we hear by the truth of God's word. He says there in verse number one that many false prophets are in the world. And I would submit to you that our danger is not the false prophet who believes in Allah or the one who worships the many Hindu gods or one that worships Buddha or any other of the great religions of the world. Professing Christians just don't fall or are fooled by those types of claims. We, we understand that fairly well. Most Christians do. And so the danger is those who claim to worship Jesus Christ. Verse number three says, every spirit that does not confess really here the humanity and the divinity of Christ is not of God. So here, John is centering on Jesus Christ himself. And so this would include any perversions of the doctrine of Christ, whether that comes from without or whether it comes from within, from those who profess Christianity. But I would say that most importantly, and I think the scripture bears this out, that those within are the most dangerous. These are the ones who subtly try to take down the fundamental doctrines of the faith. They're the ones that Christians are more susceptible to. So I know that many don't like to raise controversies. They don't like messages that bring up controversies. But as I read the scriptures, it seems to be a constant theme in the Old Testament 
the prophets, bringing up the false worship practices and warning the people against them. And for us today, this is especially true in the New Testament as we find it's a common theme in the epistles of Paul, of Peter, John, James, and Jude. We are warned about those who teach false doctrine. And then in the Revelation... There's a major emphasis made by Christ as he himself messaged seven churches in Asia Minor that are typical of all churches in all ages. And the conclusion is that if we do not address heresies, that we're out of order with New Testament teaching. And so we encounter many people who name the name of Christ And they claim they do God's work. And they say, oh, it's the Holy Spirit telling us to do this. The Holy Spirit directs us. But in reality, it has nothing to do with God's Spirit. Now, as I have said many times, if the work is not God's work, then it must be attributed to the only other source, and that is Satan. There are only two spirits that operate in the world. One is the Spirit of God, and the other is the Spirit of God. As John describes it, the spirit of Antichrist, that would be Satan and his demonic spirits. And so in order to tell who is doing the work, we must determine the methods and we must determine the end result. And if it's inconsistent with biblical teachings, it can't be the work of the Holy Spirit. Now here in 1 John chapter 4, he provides, uh, John provides an, an, a brief outline of how we can distinguish true works of the Spirit from the false works of Satan. Jonathan Edwards pointed these truths out. The ones that I want to give you today, this is the, uh, part of his treatment of 1 John chapter 4. And let me say that this is the same Jonathan Edwards that preached fearlessly in the first great awakening. He was a preacher who called sin, sin, and he called people to repentance. He told people when they were wrong and how to get right. And that plain teaching of God's word saw thousands upon thousands come to Christ in that day. Now notice in our text verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read this again. This is just to get this, this deep down into you. Verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. Now we can see by this that Jesus Christ again is the focus, understanding who Jesus is. John's first order of business is to let us know that there are many who claim to be teachers of truth. Not all claims are valid claims. And when they are invalid, the only other choice that we have is to call them lies. And that is what the devil does. He's the great deceiver. He is a liar. Satan is the great imitator. He likes nothing better than to get people to think that they have the truth when he substituted for it a counterfeit. And that counterfeit is not the spirit of Christ. It is the spirit of Antichrist. And we'll think just a minute about the Antichrist. The, the Antichrist, according to the scriptures, is the spawn of Satan. He's the, 
uh, Satan is the father of uh, this other great imitator. When he comes, he will fill the temple, move into the temple, claim that he is God. Now, when we're speaking of the Antichrist in that way, we're speaking, I, I would put it this way, the big A Antichrist, that person coming in the future. The Antichrist, though, in that sense, is not here yet. Not the big A Antichrist. But John says, certainly this is true. The spirit of the Antichrist is definitely here. And it is the spirit of Antichrist that makes all these false claims that they are from God. Second Corinthians 11 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. John had experience with this. He, he encountered false apostles. Paul wrote the First Corinthians passage. He also experienced false apostles. There was this competition that developed with the apostles of Christ and those that claimed we are also apostles. We, we are also called by God to preach what we preach. And then as Christianity has circled the globe in these past 2,000 years, the population of the earth has grown and so has the number of false apostles. They increase as well. Well, the problem is that most people aren't discerning enough. Most people can't tell the difference. And they think that, well, we're just all teaching the same things. Uh, I was just reading, maybe it was yesterday or early this morning, I can't remember which, about people who think that, that all the great religions of the world have truth in them and we're all essentially teaching the same things. That is absolutely untrue. It is untrue. But people will turn on the TV and uh, they'll visit a, a church on the corner and they have little investigation into what this program on TV is about or about uh, the preacher or the congregation of the church that they attend. And so most people can't tell the difference. They, they assume, well, it says church on the door, doesn't it? It says that it is a church. The broadcast that you listen to on television, it claims to speak from the Bible, so it must be okay. And unfortunately, because of this, every scandal in Christianity is attached to all of us. We all become guilty by association because people think all Christians think this way, all Christians do this. But we would have to ask, of course, do the deceitful charlatans speak for Christ? And the answer to that is no. John says no. There are many spirits. And by this he means there is this great diversity out here of false teachers. And John gives us here the tools to use, and it's our responsibility to use them to judge teachers by the truths of Scripture. Some say, well, that's unkind. It's unkind for you to do this. They say you're unnecessarily divisive. But the truth is there is no basis for unity but truth. We can't compromise truth to be friendly with anyone. Now, when I say that, note what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we are unfriendly or we can't be friends with the people. We can't be friends and we ought to be unkind to these people. I'm saying we can't be friendly to their doctrines. We can't uh, act as if untruths are as acceptable as the Bible's truth. Truth is the only thing that saves. No one is saved by believing a lie no matter how sincerely they believe it. And so if we link truth with untruth, we diminish truth. 
And it's not long before we lose truth. And we notice in the second verse of 1 John 4, one of these distinguishing results of the true work of the Spirit. The first that we would look at is the Spirit, His true workers, exalt Christ. The exaltation of Christ. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now again, it's apparent by reading all of 1 John that John dealt with many that denied the incarnation of Christ. His chief enemies in those days were the forerunners of what are known as the Gnostics. These were people who believed God could never come in human flesh. And that's because they believed the flesh was inherently sinful. They claimed to be believers in Jesus, but they had various ways that they would get around Scripture, getting around the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. Well, you can imagine then, if they denied the incarnation of Jesus, they must also deny the virgin birth. And when you deny the virgin birth, you deny the God-man and his sacrifice, uh, that, he's a, that Christ is that sacrifice, the God-man. They denied that he was truly man and truly God, that he was the perfectly sinless man who suffered in the flesh for the sins of the world. And this is inherent when we use the word Christ. When we use the name of Jesus Christ, we affirm these truths. We affirm that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. We affirm the promised Messiah who would suffer for sin. We affirm the Lamb of God who took on flesh and became God's perfect acceptable sacrifice. We affirm his death, the penal and substitutionary death for the sins of believers. And if those are denied, the person who denies them denies the true Jesus. That goes on all of the time. Knowing the true Jesus is essential to salvation. It's the Holy Spirit's work then to convince lost sinners that Jesus is God who came in human flesh. The Spirit shows us that all the history of Jesus that we read in the New Testament is true. We can believe this. And then it's specifically the Holy Spirit's work to confirm the work of Christ in redemption. And this is, this, this is so important. We can't forget this. That substitutionary sacrifice means that there is one, one human who died for many humans. That truth is indispensable for salvation. So the sacrifice of Christ is utterly dependent upon his perfection. He came to this world. He lived a perfect life. He must have this kinship with man in order to die for us. And in this kinship with man, he kept all the commandments perfectly. He earned a righteousness through that that could be imputed to us by faith. Now, in case you don't understand that, I don't really have time to go into the subject in depth. But Christ has his own inherent righteousness that we don't take part of. That's by virtue of the fact that he's God. But he came to this earth to earn righteousness by keeping the law that could be transferred to us, which is the substitute for our imperfect obedience. And it's by that obedience of Christ that we are saved. That's the only righteousness that God accepts. Well, if this is then the indispensable truth that leads to salvation, then what would you expect that Satan would do with this truth? Well, he's the the enemy of God, and so he works tirelessly to deny every one of the doctrines I've just told you. He works to deny these everything that is attendant to redemption. 
And so if you find someone that denies these truths, what do you conclude? Well, I think that conclusion should be obvious, that that person is not working under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Satan never stresses truth about Christ, and neither will his workers teach the truth about Christ. And thus, you have cults. You have cults like Mormonism, you have the Jehovah Witnesses, and what do they do? They deny Jesus as the Christ. Oh, they put his name in their literature, they put it on their signs and wherever, but they don't tell the truth because they deny these very basic truths that Jesus is God himself. That Jesus is the Son of God who came to this earth to die to, for our sins to impute his righteousness to it to us. Now I want you to keep your place here in First John and, and I know you know where Acts 19 is. So let's go to Acts 19. We've read this uh, first part of the chapter many times. And after this encounter that I mentioned a moment ago that Paul had with uh, 12 men who needed more explanation of the Holy Spirit's work, there's another interesting story that shows us real spiritual power versus fake spiritual power. Every activity of the Apostle Paul was done in the power of the Spirit. He preached by the power of the Spirit, he healed by the Spirit's power, and he cast out demons by the Spirit's power. Now notice this story, it begins in verse 11 of Acts 19. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now in Ephesus, there were false prophets that presumed to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and they would cast out demons. This is what they pretended to do. They, they said, we're using Jesus' authority when they didn't even know Jesus. So when they tried to cast out the demon, the demon didn't recognize the authority. Now, he did recognize the authority of Paul. He recognized the demons, recognized the authority of Christ, but not those, only those who are the authorized representatives of Christ or Christ himself can cast out demons. And so when the demon came out, the man in whom the demon was beat the living daylights out of these false exorcists. And you would say, well, why, 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 would, why would Satan beat up his own false apostles? Why would he do that? Well, I'll assure you this, that this shows us the Holy Spirit has power over all. He has power over the demons. He has power over all under the authority of demons. And so the Holy Spirit can make Satan turn on himself. He binds the strong man. Now notice the result of this in verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Whenever the Holy Spirit works, the name of the Lord Jesus will always 
be magnified. Watch out for those who emphasize Holy Spirit as opposed to emphasizing Jesus or emphasize anything else but Jesus. Jesus' name is magnified by the works of the Spirit. So he will be exalted according to every scriptural claim that is made of him. Now then, secondly, the Holy Spirit is distinguished from false spirits by opposition to Satan. Well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? We would expect that to be true. You can't exalt Christ and at the same time be on Satan's side. At every turn, Satan is exposed. He is opposed by the true spirit. Now look at verses 4 and 5 in our text in 1 John. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. And when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come, he said the Spirit will come to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he said the prince of this world... That meaning Satan, the prince of this world, would be judged. And we, we also have this promise that we have strength in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. He enables us to overcome the world. This world is the domain of Satan. As I said, God of this world, that's the title. But John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Christians have the ability to overcome all the opposition that stands against us when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. What does John mean when he speaks of overcoming the world? What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you, he's not speaking of political victory. He's not talking about claiming territory till we establish a Christian nation. And unfortunately, Christians in our country shouldn't spend so much time in the church focusing on political victories. It wasn't the time then when Jesus was in the world. He said, my kingdom is not ready to come now. It's going to come at a later time. It didn't come the first time. He wasn't here to establish a kingdom. It will be in the second advent. But rather what John is speaking here of overcoming the world is the resistance to everything that would turn our hearts away from the worship of the one true God. And that's what we should be emphasizing in our churches today. Resisting everything that turns our attention away from the worship of the one true God. Now he speaks of pursuits of righteousness. He says, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that is what we do in the Spirit's power. Well, as we seek God, we resist everything opposed to God. And we have that ability. We have the ability, the power to turn from sin. And through that, we, the Holy Spirit, we quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And this, friends, is the reason it is so critical that churches preach against sin. This is why we insist that the membership lives holy lives. We oppose the kingdom of Satan. And what we don't want to do is to drag Satan into the church. It's the last thing that we want to do. And so when you see churches that never talk about sin... And they let evil into the church, things that we're experiencing today, the homosexuality or that God respects the sexual orientation of homosexuals and transgenders and every deviant lifestyle that you could imagine. If that's in the church, you know the Holy Spirit's not there. Now, they might have the name of Christ plastered everywhere on their signs, in their literature. They may speak of Christ and they say, this is what Christ would do. 
They don't know Christ. They don't know him. They lull people into complacency. They put their consciences to sleep with a tolerance pill and claim it is the work of God. The Holy Spirit will never do this. He always convinces of sin. He never supports sin. Anything that is in the interest of sin, he always opposes. Now in the second chapter, John wrote, this is verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This is what the Holy Spirit opposes. All the works of the world are the works of Satan. Then thirdly, the distinction between the Holy Spirit's work and Satan's work is direction to the scriptures the holy spirit directs us to the scriptures i'll notice verse number six we are of god he that knoweth god heareth us he that is not of god heareth not us hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error now if if i were to ask you what what was john doing when he wrote this letter what what did this letter mean what what is this letter well he speaks under the inspiration of the holy spirit and so the words that he writes come from the holy spirit so that makes them spirit and truth the truth comes from john's pen the bible is the inspired word of god paul said that the word is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction and instruction in righteousness so when you find people When you find a church that has high regard for the scriptures, then you have a good indication they're working under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Again, we can expect this from the Holy Spirit. What would he do? Well, he would steer people to the word that he authored. He would steer people to the truth that he authored. Well, Satan wants nothing to do with that truth, only to, or except to, twist it. Except to pervert it. That's his only interest in God's word. In the last message, we talked about the great dearth of, of teaching from the word. And unfortunately, I have to say this, we find it to be true in many of our Baptist churches. We could even find it among those of us who would say, well, we are fundamental in our teachings. And when you hear fundamentalism, what you should hear is the opposition to modernism, opposition to those who denigrate the word of God, who do not believe in infallibility of scripture. And this is what fundamentalists claim to stand on, inerrancy of scripture against modernism, uh, against those who deny infallibility. So then you would think, well, a fundamentalist must have a very high regard for God's word. And they would teach it faithfully and do it consistently. And they would stick within the context of scripture and not twist it for their own purposes. But sadly, that's not uncommon. Not uncommon to have church leaders that are ignorant of the word. Because what they hear is pet doctrines of the pastor. They don't hear much else. It's just the pet doctrine of the pastor. Um, an example of this is one that stuck with me for many, many years. If you've been here for many years, you've heard me give this example before. But it impresses here uh, a personal reality. that I've, I've actually, of course, seen this, personally experienced it. More than 20 years ago, before I left Kentucky, I was visited by two members of a Baptist church that was near me. And I was glad to see them. I, I invited them to come into my house. I, I loved to talk with Christians. I wanted to talk with them. I love talking with people that are saved. 
So I, I, I commended their efforts to be out in the neighborhood and inviting people to church. But I, again, I love to talk to Christians. So I invited them in for a conversation. And in the conversation, I learned that one of them was a deacon in the church. Well, we didn't talk too much about salvation because once I affirmed who they were and they affirmed who I was, we knew, well, we're on the same page here. We, we both believe in salvation by grace through Jesus Christ alone. That's our, our common belief. So uh, there's no conversion aspect of this visit. So our discussion then moved into other things and I began to quiz them about other doctrinal stands. And the thing that surprised me was that the deacon of the church had been a deacon for many years but he was lost in a conversation that got beyond, how do you get saved? That was it. That's all that he knew. And he said, well, well, why is that? Whose fault is that? And I would say, I would lay that fault directly on the pastor of the church. Because that's all he ever taught. He didn't teach the other doctrines of the word. He was just making sure that everybody kept the rules properly. So there wasn't much other than that taught. Well, that doesn't tell me there's concern for what all the scriptures say. Now, you can imagine if that is true in a Baptist church. And I'm not saying it's true in all of them. Certainly not. But if that was 25 years ago, and we know how things have increased terribly, uh, the wickedness has increased, how, how bad must it be among those who are not fundamental churches? How bad must it be? And in fact, we see this, if you read the newspapers, if you read religious news, uh, maybe some of you do, I do frequently. You see these regular debates in denominational conventions over sin that they want to allow into the church. Oh, they, they, they make this a part of their platforms of their convention. Sinful lifestyles that are allowed to come into the church. You know, one of my favorite illustrations, again, used it many times before because these things stick with me. It was a church just a couple of miles from us in Katati. And one of our members went to this church uh, as a favor to a friend. And she took her Bible to church. The first thing that she was greeted with, why did you bring that? You don't need it here. That's got Christian on the church. That goes all over our city, on, all over our city, all over our country. There are churches that name the name of Christ. They claim to be Christians, but they don't have anything to do with the Bible. Whose spirit is that? Is that a spirit of Christ? Or the spirit of Antichrist? Can you distinguish between these two spirits? And further, ought you to distinguish between them? Is it biblical to warn people of the wrong spirit? I say, of course you can't distinguish. John tells us how to do it. You ought to. It's biblical to point it out. Satan hates the word. And its ministers will never plant in their people, in those people, his people, reverence for the word of God. Now, you hear me say this, and you say, well, what Pastor Smith is saying is that Berean Baptist Church has all things right. Everything is exactly right there, just like it should be. You have, we have nothing else to learn. And I would tell you, that is absolutely not true. It is not true. We have much to learn, and everything is not right. But as far as we can determine and, and try to work towards, we are actively pursuing the truth of the Word of God. And it's only the word that we will pursue. So you'll hear much of the Bible when you come to our church. It's read, it's taught, it's the only foundation of truth, and it's the Bible on which we stand. The Holy Spirit will always direct people to the word. Why? It's the truth. 
what else would he do? But it's also the only way to find out what God says. It's the only way to grow spiritually and become like Christ. God doesn't give new revelation. You're not going to find anything else out there that is a new revelation of what God is doing. No, it's all in the Word of God. Everything he wants us to know is found in the Word. And so if you want to know God and God's will, go to the Word. That's the only way to find out. But it's amazing the number of people that you run into that say they are Christians. You sit down with them and uh, discuss, and they say, oh, oh well, you know, I think that God accepts all people. Doesn't, doesn't matter what you do, how you live. God accepts all people. I think that we're all the children of God. I think that all of us will be in heaven. I think there is no hell. I, I think this, and I think that. And so you pause for a moment, and you say, well, what is the basis for your thinking? What is the basis for such thinking? And sometimes they'll say it's in the Bible. Which very clearly says they haven't read the Bible. They don't know what's in the Bible. But more often is what you hear is it just comes down to this. This is the argument. It's just what I believe. And so the only authority. There is no authority higher than thus saith me. Well when you hear that. You've just stumbled stumbled upon the result of Satan's influence. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not of God. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Can you distinguish between the false and the true? Yes, you can. By seeing if that person elevates the word of God. If that teacher directs you to the word of God as the only authority for his beliefs. And they actually do know what the word of God says. Now, fourthly, closely connected, the work of the Holy Spirit is the elevation of truth. Verse 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We don't need to spend much time here. And that's because this is so closely connected to the direction to scriptures. The Holy Spirit leads people to truth. The mantra, though, of the devil's religion is that truth is relative. You decide what is true. What is true for you is okay with me because I'll decide what's true for me. And if our truths differ from one another, it doesn't make any difference. We're both right. Well, we might think that relative truth, uh, that's, that's the brainchild of the 20th and the 21st century. Nobody ever heard of relative truth before until we got into this situation that we're in now. And that is untrue. Because this goes back further than the old Roman Empire. It was Pilate who said to Jesus, what is truth? And the reason that Pilate said that, because he didn't know there, he wasn't certain that there's only one infallible truth. So it's not uncommon to find people say, oh, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I run to these people. I'm a spiritual person. Uh, They may not know anything about what God says, but they are spiritual people, which to them is the same as saying, I've found my own way to God, if there is a God. I'm on my way to him. I don't really need your way. So they don't see God as God sees them, or don't see themselves that way. They're, They're determined to climb up some other way. Did you know Jesus addressed that? Somebody who's trying to get to heaven another way? He said in John 10, 1, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Who is the door to the sheepfold? Jesus Christ. 
He's the way to heaven. There is no other way. But these people don't even know elementary truths of Scripture. They don't know they've sinned against God. They don't know they will give an account to him. They don't know they're helpless. They don't know that Jesus is the only way. So they found what they think is truth. And that is what's fostered by false churches. There's no preaching on sin. There's no preaching on the cross. Hardly ever mentioned because people just don't need that. They don't need to understand those things. So they're stuck on what they personally determined to be true. And they're on their way to heaven by whatever means. And they are assured that they are as the person who thinks the exact opposite. Both of them are on the way to heaven by their own way. So everybody finds their way to God. That's truth for them. But that's not God's truth. There's only one truth, and that is God's truth. So what does Satan do? He covers up that truth. He obfuscates truth. He hides truth. When you see it happen, it's at Satan. It's at work, not the Holy Spirit. So Satan is the one who's behind the idea. Let's compromise truth for unity. And thereby he destroys truth. Now lastly, I'm, I, I will hurry the Holy Spirit will always lead us to the adoration of God. Now, we read verse 8 a moment ago. We didn't read it for the text, but let's go down there. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Holy Spirit teaches us to love God. Do you know what always follows love for God? If you love God, you will love others. These two always go together. When the Holy Spirit works in you, you simply can't hear enough about God. He, he's the object of your desires. And that is really the key to loving the Bible as you should. If you love Jesus, you will love the Bible because that's where you find out about the God that you adore. You can't claim to love God if you don't read the love letters. And that's what his word is. It's his love letter to us that he sent his son into the world to die for us, to rescue us from our misery of sin and the penalty of hell. Whenever you see the Spirit working, you always see people who love to praise God. We've experienced it. You know, we see it in our congregation. Sometimes we sing songs. Well, we always, I think, sing songs that have powerful words. We always want songs that have great meaning to it. Many of them point us directly to Jesus Christ and the gospel, praise of God. All I have is Christ. I love to sing songs like that. And sometimes in the singing of those, you feel it right here. It comes all the way from the, from the very depths of your stomach, all the way up into your throat, and you get choked up. Tears come to your eyes. That ever happened to you? Yeah, that's happened to you. I've seen it even happen after messages. I don't know how. Sometimes I preach hard to you and somebody will go away crying. I hope I didn't make them cry because of the way I preached the sermon. No, they go out and say, I needed that. God spoke to me in that message. And that's when I know the Holy Spirit has showed up. These are people thinking of the selfless sacrifice of Christ, the shame that he endured. When they think like that, God's Spirit is there. And you know... When people want to get their rights, their lives right with God, that's when they want to be holy. They want to give with a cheerful heart. Why? They love God. They love Him. They adore God more than anything. And so they want to show their love to Him. Now conversely, when people resist the sermons, when they resist the call of the Spirit, when they resist devotion and resist consecration, they don't love God. Oh, they may say that they do, but the Holy Spirit never leads any other direction than in the direction that has a desire to please 
God. We love him because he first loved us. Well, John says, too, that if you don't love your brother, the love of God is not in you. You don't want to claim something that you don't have when no one can see this distinguishing work of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't show any love to anyone. You don't care about anyone but you. But what John has done is to give us a brief outline to tell us how we can distinguish the false prophets from the true. How do we tell the Holy Spirit is working and when the devil is working? And you can tell, I've just brushed the subject. This is just from a few verses in the Bible that, that describe this. And there are many, many more that, that tell us more about how we can distinguish. There's just more to be said. But I want you to take time to examine it yourselves. As you examine, prove that you are of God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he holds up the exaltation of Christ. He leads to the opposition of Satan and his ways. He moves in the direction of Scripture. He's concerned with the elevation of truth. And he always teaches us to adore God. Question is, do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know that he's in you? Do you know that he was promised to you by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? And when you do, when you trust him, when you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you and he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Blessed be God for all true preachers of the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that we've read today and had this a wonderful opportunity to expound these truths of scripture. Lord, we just... Uh, uh, just barely touch on these things and we could spend many, many hours talking about it. But we need to guard our lives. We need to keep ourselves away from untruths and uh, be in places where the truth of God's word is taught so we can grow thereby. That's the only proper growth that there is. And that is to hear, believe, practice your word. We pray for our people today. Draw us closer to you through what we've heard. And again, we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, we, we do pray your Holy Spirit will reveal truth. Open up the Word of God. Convict the sinner's heart and draw them to you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.